TED Audio Collective. Hi, it's Dr. Jen here. So something a little different today. This is an episode of TED Health, another podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join Dr. Shoshana Ungerleider as she finds and discusses fascinating TED Talks in the health space, from tips on smart daily habits to ideas about new medical breakthroughs. Dr. Shoshana Ungerleider is asking how we can live healthier lives. Here's an episode we thought you'd enjoy. And if you want to hear more, you can find and follow TED Health wherever you're listening to this. Hi, and welcome to TED Health. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleider. In today's episode, we'll hear from Kia Williams on her mission to make prescriptions more affordable. Kia will explain why tons of perfectly good prescriptions end up destined for the landfill and explain how she's working to reroute them into the hands of patients who need them most. Then stick around after the talk for an interview with the incredible Dr. Fumiko Chino about her unusual journey into the world of medicine and why she's become a big advocate for affordable treatments. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Every day in this country, families are forced to make impossible choices when it comes to their health care. Like Kimberly, who said... There was times I had to choose between my food and my pills. It wasn't luxury stuff because I didn't make that much. It was like, can I get shampoo or conditioner? Things you take for granted. And Debbie, who said, you put your medicine in one hand, your living costs in the other. Okay, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to get my medicine or am I going to pay my bills? Well, I can't live without my medicine, but I can't live if I don't pay my bills. 10,000 people die every month in this country because they don't take the medicine that they need. More people die from not taking medications than opioid overdoses and car accidents combined. But you can't take medicine if you can't afford it. Today, the average household spends $3,000 a year on medications. About a third of folks who are uninsured said that they stopped taking medicine as prescribed because of cost. Even folks with insurance, if they make under $35,000 a year, half of them report skipping the medications if their insurance doesn't cover it. So there are 10 million adults like Kimberly 
and like Debbie, who are forced to make impossible choices every day. We all know that prescription drug prices are too high. In our healthcare system, that makes some folks uninsured and other folks underinsured, doesn't prioritize people who need access now and need medications now. 10 million, it's a big number, but it's also a solvable number because there's also $10 billion of perfectly good unused medication that goes to waste. So this is an injustice on two sides. People not getting the medicine that they need to survive and to thrive and that very same medication being sent to a medical waste incinerator to be destroyed. This waste is unconscionable, but it also offers an opportunity. I started Serum, a not-for-profit technology company with my co-founders Adam and George to turn discarded medications into a lifeline. We may not be able to fix all the ways in which our healthcare system is failing us, but we can fix this one. Medications come from manufacturers and wholesalers who have safety stock, and when it's short-dated, they destroy it. It also comes from healthcare facilities like hospitals, pharmacies, and nursing homes who end up with surplus when a patient stops taking medication or when they pass away. We can use this untapped source of medications to supply all 10 million people who need medications, and we can do this today. Serum gets surplus medications by putting recycling bins into these hundreds of facilities that have surplus. They fill the bin, and when the box is full, Serum initiates a courier pickup to pick up that medication, and we handle the shipping, the tracking, the manifest, and the tax receipt. Medicine donors want to donate because it's actually cheaper and easier than the highly regulated medicine destruction process. And there are strong tax incentives to actually donate. We then deliver those donated medications to people who need it. A new prescription comes in, and our platform matches that patient need with the inventory that's available. Our platform then generates a warehouse pick list. The medications are picked, and the prescriptions filled. We are building the 21st century pharmacy experience that low-income families deserve. Patients can register in under five minutes and have access to a stable list of medications for everything from heart disease to mental health conditions, actually representing over 75% of all prescriptions prescribed in the United States today. We also partner with a network of doctors, nurses, and case managers at community health centers and free clinics that refer patients to the service. We make it as easy for these healthcare providers to have a prescription filled with donated medications as it is to send a prescription to a local pharmacy. And patients can pick up medications on site at one of our partners or have medications delivered directly to their home. By circumventing the traditional supply chain, we're able to offer flat, transparent pricing, about $2.00 for a month's supply of most medications. And that allows a predictable, affordable price that folks can actually budget for. Our goal is to reach 1 million people 
with approaching a billion dollars of unused medicine in the next five years, scaling our program to 12 states. At this scale, we can actually cover communities that are home to 40% of the 10 million people who lack consistent, affordable access. Our direct service to 1 million people will drive price competition for so many more. Walmart launched one of the only price innovations in pharmacy in 2006 by offering a limited list of medications for a flat fee of $4. This sparked incredible change. It sparked competitors to offer other lists and price match guarantees. By targeting transparent, affordable medications into these new states, we can actually drive regional price competition that drives down the prices for entire low-income communities. Our healthcare system is complex. It is daunting. It feels impossible to make headway. But we can completely reimagine medicine access by using surplus medications as a beachhead to force change into this multi-billion dollar industry, we can create radical access to medications based on a fundamental belief that people who live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world can and should have access to medicine that they need to survive and to thrive. I do not pretend to have all the answers to fix all of the problems in our healthcare system. But getting medications to the millions of people who need it to live a healthy life, saving medicine to save lives, that is something we can do today. Thank you. Hi again, this is Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Someone who knows firsthand the crushing financial burden that often comes with healthcare is my guest. Dr. Fumiko Chino, a radiation oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City. Dr. Chino didn't always want to be a doctor. She actually started her career as a graphic artist. But when her 27-year-old husband, Andrew, was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer that ultimately took his life, everything changed for her. That devastating experience and the astronomical costs associated with it motivated her to go into medicine and try to fix the system from inside. Today, in addition to seeing patients, Dr. Chino researches the high cost of cancer care and how to make it more affordable. Dr. Fumiko Chino, thank you so much for joining me today. We're really happy to have you. It's really a pleasure to talk to you today. I have to say I'm very passionate about my research in affordability and financial toxicity, so I'm always happy to share the message because I feel like this topic is so vital. Absolutely. So you're a radiation oncologist working at a prestigious academic hospital in New York City. Can, can you tell me why certain cancer treatments, for example, are so expensive? I think that cancer treatment is so disruptive for people who are employed that they may or may not be able to continue working, and therefore they actually may lose their health insurance, which is employer-obtained. Um, um, so that's one big flaw. Uh, I think one of the problems is also that the costs of care overall are rising and that the patient responsibility of those costs are also rising. Um, and that cancer care is so, uh, it, 
the, is so intense that p- patients often not just have the bills coming in, but they have the lack of income to support just their normal lives. And so that balance is really off. So you have yourself essentially only taking money out of your wallet, not putting any money into your wallet, and you just fall into this financial hole. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned, financial toxicity. What What is that? Why is it important to understand? This phrase financial toxicity has really taken off. And the reason why it has is that it so accurately describes what's happening to patients when they're starting their cancer treatment, which is we know that there are toxicities of, for example, chemotherapy. And we describe them to patients before we start a treatment plan. We would never start anyone on chemotherapy without warning them of the risk. And yet we routinely commit patients to a treatment plan that may have incredible costs to them. And we don't warn them that these costs may be present. And we're just sending them off down this treatment path where there are these huge, again, holes that they could fall into. Um, and so this idea that financial toxicity, the toxicity related to the cost of care, is something that we should be discussing with patients that we should be potentially planning for, that we should be assisting patients proactively for, um, is something that um, I've really just devoted my life to. I never planned on being here, but having, you know, learned, unfortunately, in the worst way possible, I'm really dedicated um, to try to improve the status quo. Well, gosh, thank you so much for that work. So I used to be a hospitalist, so a hospital-based physician. And, and when someone's hospitalized, doctors often order daily lab tests, kind of by default, without realizing that it can add up to thousands of dollars and isn't always necessary. So does it have to be this way? What are some things that you do as a doctor to give cost-conscious care to patients? I think there's this growing um, importance of value within healthcare and thinking about how do we deliver truly high-quality, high-value care and start eliminating low-value care. And I think that this is a, there's a little push-pull in medicine because I think we are often over-prescribers, over-treaters. And, and again, I see this from the other side, from the patient perspective, which is why wouldn't we want to do absolutely everything that we could? Why would not we want to do every single imaging study that we possibly could? Um, but I think there's a balance here because there's true harm, not just financial, um, but also, you know, there are diagnostic cascades that you can also fall into when I order an unnecessary test, if there's no evidence that's actually going to benefit your treatment, all I'm exposing you to is potential financial harms, but also, for example, diagnosis of incidentalomas. So things that would never have affected your life, suddenly we know that they're there and we need to treat them. You know, I, I have experienced this before where people can essentially just um, end up with a series of tests and biopsies that do not result in benefit to the patient, um, but it was all triggered by an unnecessary scan. And so finding that balance of essentially, how do I provide the best quality of care that really effectively treats your cancer, that acknowledges your your goals of care, what is important to you? You know, we need to right-size medical treatments in the United States and not just always think that more is more. Sometimes less is more, and that's that idea of value. So for you in becoming a physician, what do you know now that you wish you would have known to help you and your late husband in the process of his cancer journey? 
What I know now is that there really are so many options. And I think, you know, when we're describing treatment plans to patients, part of that Again, that shared decision-making of knowing what the priorities are for the patients in terms of, for example, convenience or dosing or timing of both treatment but also labs and visits, there's so much variability there. And when we look at, for example, national guidelines for cancer treatment, even things like follow-up care, it may be, you know, you can get a follow-up in a scan between two and four months. And there's really no evidence to support that two months is better than four months. And yet, um, for some people, they're getting it every two months. And that's literally double the copays, double the scan uh, fees, you know, double the time off of work. It should not be one size fits all. It really should be customized um, to patient concerns, patient risks. Um, and, you know, the the optimal plan is always the one that is is your plan, not, again, one size fits all. What can individuals do to change the astronomical costs of treatment? I think, you know, involving yourself in the process of decision-making, even if it's not offered to you, to be the squeaky wheel that says, my voice is the most important one in the room, right? Uh, And I think that if costs, if affordability is a concern for you, um, you know, you should bring it up. And this is one thing that I wish that I knew when I was, uh, you know, a caregiver, is that we never knew it was okay to talk about costs. We thought, oh, you know, these costs are too high, but we were ashamed. We didn't think it was the physician's role um, to be concerned about our finances. Um, And we were afraid that if we did bring it up, that somehow that his care would stop. Um, But I know now as a physician that really these conversations are vital because we have people who are just not showing up for their treatment because it's unaffordable and the physician never knows what happened. Um, And so, you know, just being empowered for yourself, being an empowered patient, um, talking to your family members about, you know, also their values. Um, Again, you know, my husband was a healthy 20-something-year-old when he was diagnosed with cancer. And unfortunately, it took his life before the age of 30. And so I can say truly, you never know what's going to happen. Well, Dr. Fumagotino, you are incredible. I am so grateful for the work that you do. Thank you so much for talking with us today. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media with help from Mitchell Johnson and fact-checked by Vanessa Garcia-Woodworth. And special thanks to Grace Rubenstein, Anna Phelan, Sammy Case, Maria Lagis, and Colin Helms. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week.